quite quite a, a challenge okay and um they get quite scared trying to sit down and and read it in its original there's a bit of encouragement there because there's a lot of the book of Tehillim that is found in Asidur and uh, if you actually pay attention you will see that you actually do know some of 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 it simply because if you have picked up a Siddur, if you have picked up a prayer book during the week on Yamim Tovim, on the Jewish holidays, at all sorts of times, um, those, those, the words of the Tehillim are found in the Siddur. And, um, for those who've hung around and have, you know, listened attentively for the last almost year and a half, we've gone through a whole lot of Tehillim that are only based in the Siddur. For example, all the Tehillim for the, uh, for the book of, um, or the Tehillim that pertain to the prayer of Hallel. Hallel is just made up of Tehillim, and certainly the Pisuke de Zimra, those chapters that we say, the, the, the chapters of praise that we say before we launch into the blessings before the Shema Yisrael, every single day, Shabbat, on Yamim Tovim, they also all come from the book of Tehillim. So, Hey out there, don't be nervous, don't be scared about the book of Tehillim. Open it up and um, say some Tehillim. As we always say, Tehillim has the same uh, pronunciation as the word Tehillim, um, which are missiles. And these are our missiles of goodness and kindness that, that penetrate the the heavens and clear out a lot of rubble, a lot of uh, obstacles along the way. We are, as you all know, currently going through the longest chapter of the book of Tehillim, which is chapter 119. Um, 119 is made up of 176 verses, and um, the way that it's divided up is that it's divided up into letters of the alphabet. So the first eight verses start with Aleph, the next eight verses with Bet, the next eight verses with Gimels, and so forth and so on. And we have actually swum past the midway point, and we are now looking at verses 105 to 112, which uh, all start with the letter Nun. The letter Nun stands for the word Neeman, a loyal person, um, somebody who's completely devoted to God, somebody who's completely devoted to mankind, somebody who places the needs of others and that which God demands of him before him, and he is subservient to him. And in fact, 
for those that know a little bit about the Hebrew alphabet, just the shape of the nun, which is really, it looks like a vav. It's, a, it's, it's got a straight back and it's got a little head and just a little bit of a longer foot. The bent shape of the nun indicates our subservience to God's will and for us living a life that is humble, that is loyal, that is dedicated, um, and that is subservient to what God wants us and, and expects of us um, in this world. And very interestingly, um, the Otiot de Rabbi Akiva states that the human neshama, the soul, was created with the letter Nun, its initial letter. So the soul that is within each and every single one of us, that which vivifies us, gives us our life, also starts with the letter Nun. Now, one of the interesting things, I think, that, that people battle or maybe people question or maybe Maybe people just think about it, or maybe they don't even think about it as all at all. But certainly, there is kind of like a tunnel vision, a limited vision um, out there. Is that when we look at the human being, we associate what we see around us with what we actually see. What you see is what you get, um, and particularly this this idea is very much highlighted when it comes to modern medicine. When um, treating a human being, um, we have, thank God, a tremendous amount of knowledge today, and we treat human beings on what you see is what you get. And there comes points in times where the neshama, the soul of the person, actually does come into question. And why I'm saying that is that when we come to matters of, 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 of death, in particular, when we come to an area where the machines, the vital signs of the, the, the person are waning or look flat lined, you might find an EEG or an ECG. Um, modern medicine, or human beings today are very, very quick to go and say, well, this person is dead. And, um, you know, what's really just keeping them alive is the machine. And, uh, you know, you get this whole debate about whether you can switch the machines on and off. And very interesting very interestingly, Torah has a very, very um deep view about this idea in that sometimes you will get um the physical manifestation of a body not being able to to move, to function, to um communicate with the world, but that does not necessarily mean that that person is dead. Okay, so this idea, well, he's brain dead, which means that then, you know, there's not much use to them anymore is not a, 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 a true, um, line for, for, for Judaism. Um, and there are much more, um, uh, stricter parameters through which the rabbis will deem if somebody has passed on or not simply because, uh, we believe in this thing called the neshama, the neshama being that which we cannot see, that which we cannot touch, we cannot cut, we cannot x-ray, we cannot MRI, we cannot look at, but that which vivifies the body. And so as a, as, as a um, paradigm through which we, we, we function in this world, Torah will definitely um, kind of like – Go against the, 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 the standard stream of what people think and, and be very, very careful about switching off machines and saying, well, the person's brain dead, for instance. 
And um, we're going to go for a little bit of a, a break right now. When we get back, I'm actually going to tell you a story, um, a true story that 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 actually shook the medical world and really pointed to the fact that there is a thing called a neshama and that we cannot define death um, the way that, you know, modern medicine, the parameters in which modern medicine measures everything. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and today we are looking into the verses that start with the letter Nun that are, is indicative of Neshama, of our souls. And as always, I welcome any of uh, your calls. You can um, WhatsApp on 061-895-1019, and our SMS is 34519. So if you've got any comments, any questions, or you just would like to, uh, you know, talk about what I'm talking about, you're most welcome. I wanted to tell you a story about the neshama, about the soul. And this was a story that was aired um, maybe a couple of years ago. I still have a copy of it because I was absolutely floored. It was aired on a uh, program called 60 Minutes, which is a famous uh, documentary type of carte blanche program that is run in the United States. And this story ran about a, a woman um, who had a brain aneurysm, who was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm. And the doctors went and said that she was basically literally a walking time bomb. Um, and they could not tell when that time bomb would go off. Essentially, an aneurysm is a swelling um, in the brain of one of the veins or the arteries, I stand to be correct as which, nevertheless, that vessel um, had formed like a bulb where, blain, where, where blood had coagulated. And what happened, um, sadly, is that that bubble, like, it looks like a little, uh, little balloon, pops and that um, is certain death for the person, immediate death. Um, anyway, this woman went from one doctor to another and eventually she found herself at a hospital. I can't remember the details of which hospital in the United States where a doctor was doing an innovative type of surgery um, that could that, that could save her life. And essentially what they did is that it was based on the idea that one could actually slow down and to a very large extent, cut off and shut down the functionality of the body by freezing the body, by bringing the body into a state of, so to speak, hypothermia. Um, and then um, the theory was that once the, the body had been frozen, um, the blood would be drained from the body. They would then go into the brain. They would open it up by what would have happened by the draining of the blood means that that little pocket of blood, that vessel that had swollen, would have been completely deflated. They would have cut either end of that little uh, little uh, uh, balloon, re-sewed it again, and then warm up the body, introduce the, the blood back into the body and hope that this woman would come around. And uh, she actually obviously signed... Sign, sign that, uh, that she doesn't hold them responsible. She went into the operating theater 
um, knowing that she just might not come back because the entire thing was exper- uh, an experiment at that point of time. Today, I think it, it works um, in a much, much easier way. And the 60-minute te- um, television crew was given access into the before, during, and after procedures. And you watch how this woman is placed on the operating theater. Her body um, is 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 frozen and the way that they froze it is they put her on a hot lung machine with the blood that was circulating through the pipes and every time the blood made a, a, a like a circulation in the body and out the body they lowered the temperature of the blood and slowly but surely you see on the monitors this woman's heart and brain function get less and less and less and there came a point in time where um, her heart stopped beating, it went flatline, and then her brain, her EEG, went flatline. And this was at the point where they drained the blood from the body and performed the operation. And the most um, important part of the operation, obviously, was to see if they could bring this woman back to life again. And they switched on the hot lung machine and got the blood pumping again. And every um, circle that the blood went in the body, out the body, they started raising the the, the temperature of, of, of the blood. And slowly but surely, within 10, 15 minutes of this procedure, she actually, her heart started beating again and her brain started beating. And why am I telling you this? Because this is not medical hour. What was interesting Afterwards, what um, was the question that ensued that the 60 Minutes was asking the, the, the doctors, and that was, what happened to this woman? Did she die? And did they bring her back to life again? Or, did, or was she still alive? And uh, many of the, the people that were interviewed, the, the professionals, the doctors, etc., etc., basically said that this operation now asked another question, that perhaps a flatline ECG and EEG is not the parameter by which one signs a death death certificate, that there must be something more than that that shows us that um, a person is alive. And for us as Jewish people, we know that answer. The answer is the neshama. So it could be that a brain wasn't functioning at that point in time. Her heart wasn't functioning, but that did not necessarily mean death. And you see her two days later sitting up in the, in, in, in the chair in the ward of the, of the um, hospital. And the entire, there was an entire paradigm shift about what death was all about. And the reason why she was alive was because she still had a neshama. She still had a spiritual life force within her whilst it did not manifest physically on machines and did not manifest in her moving her body was still there and kept her alive. And this is something that is fundamental to Judaism. We believe that we are a composite of body and soul. And whilst we cannot see the soul, we cannot feel the soul, we cannot touch the soul, we can't taste it, we can't do any of the things that our five physical senses do, we are very much aware that that this life force is what actually gives us life and that there's something much greater to it. And then really this gives an entire explanation also into the Jewish viewpoint of death and moving 
past that and why we accord so much honor to the dead body because we know that there is a spiritual life force that is looking over the dead body that we accorded the honor and respected it it deserves for housing that life source and that a person as we know it when when we lose a loved one and you say I want back my father I want back my mother I want back that that person that you truly love you should know that that person did not go away that person changed form from a physical form back into a spiritual form but the existence of that person is very much around and this is really um, what the letter Nun stands for, the Neshama. And we also know that the numerical value of Nun is 50. And now we, we, we know that there are 50 gateways. It's, they're called the Share Bina, to profound insight into divine wisdom. And a man who's Neeman, a man who is loyal to God, will illuminate his soul and he will attempt to climb the ladder of these 50 le- uh, uh, levels of insight, and he will use, and he has another letter with a, another word with the letter Nun, a nair, a lamp um, of, of God's Torah to guide his ascent. So what we will see here is that David's special relationship with the letter Nun um, was profound, and it guided him um, on how to attend to all his events. Thank you, Stephen, for your comment. Um, and you've asked what, what Tehillim should one recite for a sick person. Well, you're at the right place because this chapter 119 is particularly one of the chapters that we recite on behalf of the person. And the way that we do it is if you go look at chapter 119 as explained initially, it's made up of eight verses of the letter Aleph and eight verses of the letter Bet and eight verses of the letter Gimel, etc., etc. So we've got 22 times eight um, um, in this chapter. And when somebody is ill, what we do is we take their Hebrew name, okay, and then the son or the daughter of Ben or Bat, their mother's name. So I'm going to give you a simple example. Say the person who's sick is David Ben Leah, okay, David, son of Leah. What one does is one then goes to chapter 119 and says the eight verses of each letter. So in this case, you would say the eight verses that pertain to the letter Dalad. Then you would say eight verses to the letter Vav. Then the letter Dalad again. So we spelt out the name David. Then you would do the Benobat, the eight letters of the letter Bet. And eight letters of the letter Taf or Nun, depending of whether it's a boy or girl. And then you do eight letters of Lamed, eight letters of Aleph, eight letters of He. So um, that is particularly one of the Tehillim that, that 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 we do say. Others are, I think, chapter twenty, chapter twenty-three. Um, and if you do have a book of Tehillim, please scroll to the back. Most of the books of Tehillim, particularly the Art Scroll and others, designate other chapters that are pertinent for somebody that is sick. Thank you for your question, and I wish whoever you are davening for a refuah shlema. They should have a complete healing. Let's get stuck into the verses. Um, the first is, reads as follows, Ner leragli devarecha veor lintivati. Your word is a lamp for my feet um, and a light for my path. What King David here is taking, he's taking the analogy 
of Torah being light and he says that before I issue out an order, before I act on anything, I look to your Torah for guidance and I look at the teachings of Torah to save me from error just like a lamp, like a light will save the traveler from stumbling in the darkness. And the Pesikte Rabasai, um, a commentator on Torah, compares a wicked person to someone who's groping blindly in the darkness. It says he comes upon a rock and he'll trip over it. He'll come to a ditch and he falls into it. And King Solomon said, of such the way of the wicked is in the darkness. They never know on what day they will stumble. But he who is righteous, he who has a nun, a ne'eman, is like one who carries a lamp before him. If he comes to a ditch, he will bypass it. And if he comes to a rock, he will take care not to fall into it. And that's really what King David was saying, is that the Torah is a light for me. It prevents me from succumbing to desire, and it warns me of the consequence of Sin, and where he says the words "ve'or lintivati" and a light of my path, we know the very famous verse "kiner mitzvah," the Torah, or that a commandment is a lamp. Torah is light, um, and that teaches us that every time we do a mitzvah, okay, we are lighting up the world. We are bringing um, spiritual lightness into this world and we get a protective merit for performing the mitzvah. But the mitzvah is like an ordinary lamp. It will burn for a a limited amount of time and when the fuel burns out, the lamp will, will go. Torah, the merit of learning Torah is a light. So you've got a lamp and a light. Kiner mitzvah, the Torah or the light of a of, of a mitzvah is like a candle. It has a, an effect for a certain period of time. Torah is or. Torah is light, meaning that a light endures forever. It never ever gets, um, distinguished. It never gets extinguished. And, uh, the Malbim goes and explains that we need both types of divine guidance, so to speak, um, in in, in the first instance, a person always needs to establish his goals and to determine the direct, um, the direct, the, the general direction of his life and what it should, should be taken. And this is called, by the way, in Torah, nativ, the path of life. Um, because here, Hashem's uh, words will serve as a light and it will illuminate even the most distant places and allow us to glimpse the end of a long road. And at the same time, says the Malbim. A Jew requires constant guidance to solve his immediate problems and to save him from the pitfalls of daily existence. And from this, the word of God is a lamp because it sheds light of his immediate surroundings and he saves him, his feet from the pitfalls. So, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. King David goes on and then says, Nishbaiti va'akayema, I have sworn and I will fulfill Lishmor to keep your righteous judgments. Now, one of the things that we don't do is we don't like swearing. We don't like taking oaths upon ourselves. It's usually discouraged, okay, um, to swear, to do something. But 
there are times where where the Torah teaches us that if you take if you find yourself say sluggish in the performance of mitzvahs, you can intensify your commitment to them by taking an oath. And in fact, we did that when we were standing at Har Sinai. We said, Nasev and Nishma, we will do and we will hear. And we pledged ourselves to God before we even had an understanding. And very interestingly, there is a uh, Gemara in the Darim. Okay, um, actually, the, the, in, in the Darim, it brings attention to the Gemara in Nida. It's a Talmudic uh, passage that teaches that when a, while a child is in the womb of his mother, um, he is taught the entire Torah from beginning to end by an angel. And just before he is born, the angel makes him swear that he will be a tzaddik who will observe the mitzvahs and he will shun all forms of sin. And um, then it says that the angel gives him a little knock on the mouth that explains the little indent we have on the upper lip and he temporarily forgets it and it is the job of a Jew then to go out and uh, acquire Torah again and really on a very very deep level and the Shoma level a soul level it's really the relearning or the remembering of that which you learnt while you were in utero Verse 107 reads as follows, Na'aneti admeod, I am exceedingly afflicted. Hashem chayeni kidvarecha, Hashem preserve me in accordance with your word. You know, we know that King David, um, always spoke about the trials and tribulations, the channel, the, 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 the challenges that he had. And there were times where his fortunes or his, his situation declined drastically. He became impoverished. He was afflicted with anguish. He, he felt despair. He felt humiliation. Okay. And in fact, by the way, Rashi says that when one is found in such a situation or when one is found to be poor, not only poor monetarily, but poor in the stuff that makes us you know, feel like human beings, we are considered dead. We are considered that, 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 that we, we, we are struggling in, um, in, with, with life. And we will feel exceedingly afflicted. But what we need to know is that, um, Hashem is with us. And immediately David says, Hashem chayeni kidvarecha, preserve me in according uh, in accord with your word, meaning I have followed your commandments. And so Hashem, I'm asking you to grant me life, to give me the, 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 the strength, the ability to uh, fight off the negativity or the negative situation that I find myself in um, and uh, let me cling to you. And we've spoken about this idea a million times now. It is something that, that uh, King David drills into us all day, every day, and we must, we must kind of like embrace it because he, out of everybody, was a guy that was very human, that, that had all these struggles, and he knew that if he clung to Hashem, if he clung, clung to God, to his Torah, to his teachings, to, to, to the words that we find in Tehillim, to the mitzvot, to the commandments that God commanded us, we will still have life. Verse 108 reads, Nidvot pi na Hashem, please accept with favor the offerings of my mouth, umishpatecha lamdeni, and teach me your judgments. Meaning, 
One of the ways that we really connect to God, even though things are pretty difficult, is that we need to show gratitude. We need to show appreciation. And here King David is saying, please accept my offerings, favor me with a response. Why? And teach me your judgments, meaning that if I, if you teach me God to appreciate your judgments, I will never question your actions, but I will have additional reason to say thank you because I understand and I appreciate things much better. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are, and uh, we are going to be going into verse 109, um, which is the fourth of the eight verses with the letter Nun, which reads as follows, Nafshi b'chapi tamid, my life is always at risk, but I did not forget your Torah. Now, here's something very interesting and something that we kind of think in our lives we're in control, but the truth is we're not in control at all. King David says, my life is always at risk, which means my soul is in my hand. You cannot guarantee that that which will happen to you in a, in a second's time. Okay? Um, your life is always in danger. The important thing you need to know is Torah Chalo Shachachti, I did not forget your Torah. And it says that a, a person who, who um, feels constant danger is usually generally a person who's a bundle of nerves. We know that anxiety and fear can always make the calmest person volatile and, and, and feel inst uh, instable. Um, the, the, the truth of the matter is that um, we can generally lose control when we find ourselves in, in, in a space like that, when we're in emotional instability. We can land up losing control. We can land up losing our wisdom, our seichel. And King David assures us that although he, is, he faced constant danger, he was always looking over his shoulder. He never lost his calm faith, and he never had cause to forget God's Torah. And this is a, a lesson for us. Wherever we find ourselves in whatever situation, um, particularly if it's challenging or difficult, just connect back to Hashem. Just know that everything is happening because Hashem wants it to happen. Hashem is running the world. He's willing. We can drop a bit of prayer to Hashem to help us, guide us um, through whatever it is that, that, that we're doing. But that is really what King David is pushing, that our lives are fragile. Our lives are transient, um, and everything is in the hands of Hashem. And he goes on and he says, Nat pachli, The wicked laid a snare for me. This is verse 110. The wicked laid a snare for me, umipi lo ta'iti, but I did not stray from your precepts. Again, the same thing. He said, you know, people knew my schedule. They, 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 they knew what I was doing because I followed the dictates of Torah. Like I had a design laid out by, by the Torah. And they easily and wantingly laid snares for me because I was just so predictable in my behavior. But I didn't seek protection by straying away and trying to do something else because that would have affected it even worse. I did not stray at all. Okay, I hung to what I hung on, even when it came to Batsheva, 
where the accusation was a false, vicious libel against King David. He says, I never committed adultery with her, and I did not stray from your precepts, and I hung on for dear life. That is such a powerful lesson to us today. We think we control everything. We think what we do is, is uh, we control. We control nothing. What we can do, though, is make a concerted effort on our part to just do what Hashem expects us to do um, and do the best that we can do in that place. The rest of it, we can actually take off our shoulders, take off the burden of that and say to Hashem, that's for you. And this is really what he says then following in verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage, for they are the joy of my heart. Okay, I, uh, basically what King David is saying here is that I, I inherited a tradition of faith from my forefathers based on the wonders they witnessed long ago. And I rejoice over these now today as if they happened to me and I can bear testimony to them all um, right now. And this is really, again, a very fundamental thing. We have a very rich heritage. We have a heritage that goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have got um, a very full history of who we are as a Jewish people and who we are, how, how we are identified. And the truth is, is that the common thread of the Jewish people throughout the history is the Torah, is the Word of God, and what what we uh, and and how we cling to it, and that we should be a light unto the nations. And so, kisasonli behema, they are the joy of my heart, meaning that when you think about it. You will, you, you will gain a tremendous amount of pleasure. You will, you will feel connected with godliness. And then doesn't matter what happens around you. You're really firmly anchored. Finally, King David finishes off the letters Nun with the following verses. Chapter, it's verse 112. He says, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes, le'olam ekev, forever to the utmost. Meaning, he says, whenever he saw or he felt that he was inclined towards the pleasures of the flesh, whatever they may be, be in a material level, he always strove to turn it around in the opposite direction to Hashem's commandments. I have inclined my heart to perform your commandments. Meaning that, I saw that I really, really did want to go eat that McDonald hamburger, turned myself away, and I clung to the, 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 idea, the ideas and the halachot, the laws of kashrut, etc. And furthermore, King David goes and says, I noticed that my heart was inclined to reject your, your commandments because they were apparently without reason. When that happened, when I didn't understand why it was that you were telling us what to do, then I studied them and I gained an appreciation for them and that caused my heart to be inclined back to perform um, your your Torah. And lo'aylam ekev, okay, um, it, I, I did it forever and to the utmost. Now, very interestingly, ekev also means a hill. We know that from our forefather, Yaakov, and he said, so what King David was saying, is that I considered myself as insignificant as the heel, which is always trodden upon. And it was easy for me to forget my personal ideas and preferences as long as I always inclined my heart towards 
your statutes, and I didn't, I didn't have any reservations about it. I did what I had to do. Thank you, Marcus, for uh, connecting, and uh, I'm glad that you're out there listening. And thank you to everybody out there for uh, giving me the time to share some words of Torah. Let's take the letter Nun and apply it to our practical lives today. Let's all be cognizant that we are a body and a soul. We're a soul in a, a, a body that houses a soul, a neshama. And let's remain connected with that which is real. And the only thing that is real is our connection to God, because that means our soul is connected to its source. Everything else is just, uh, I don't know, it's just on the playground right now. It's pieces of a puzzle. It's the surroundings that God puts us in. And as long as we remain connected with God, whatever comes our way, we will be able to weather because we have a very, very strong um, cord, umbilical cord between ourselves and God. And with that, I wish each and every one of you a wonderful week, a wonderful countdown. We're coming towards the holiday of Hanukkah, which is about a nair, about a light, about bringing light into the darkness. And I will please God see you again, same time, same place next week.